Welcome to another edition of Around with Randall, your weekly podcast on making your nonprofit more effective for your community. And here is your host, the CEO and founder of Hallett Philanthropy, Randall Hallett. It's another edition of Around with Randall. And of course, I'm Randall. Today's podcast centers around finance. And with that, several of you probably just deleted the particular segment, but I think it's an important conversation particularly with the inflationary challenges that our nonprofits are facing. And then on top of that, obviously, the pressure that's being placed on the home front from our donors. We've talked about this in various ways, but it's never been about the actual nonprofit. It's about donors. It's about acquisition. It's about philanthropy. And what I want to talk about really today is about what's going on inside our organizations. We're beginning to see some reports come out that concern, I think, anyone who's paying attention and everyone in the nonprofit sector. Number one is I saw from the Nonprofit Times a study done where the amount of operating capital is down 10 to 15 percent in most nonprofits, which means they have less wiggle room to their budgets, which means they're drawing from reserve funds to make monthly ends meet in some ways. And the real reason is salaries is really driving increased expenses, uh, and obviously that's based on inflation. On top of that, or in in addition to that, in California, there were two bond issues. We won't know the results of the actual, uh, not bond, but votes on minimum wages. And in fact, two California cities, Durante and Measure, put on the ballot initiatives that would raise the minimum wage, ironically, only in healthcare, to $25 an hour. And the local CEOs and the local uh, leaders indicated that in some cases, they weren't sure the hospitals would stay open. Obviously, those who would be the recipients of the $25 an hour were very supportive of the measure. So while the nonprofit time story talked about overall, this is what we're seeing in terms of inflationary pressures in a very specific sector. Uh, We'll see what happens in those particular uh, cities. The challenge is is that, as we've discussed in uh, previous podcasts, that in healthcare particularly, they're price takers. They don't get to increase their prices if their expenses go up. They're negotiated with commercial pay, Blue Cross, Aetna, and others. And then the government just tells them. So we'll see how that plays out. And then there was a third story about the word collapse in the title, but the collapse of small gifts uh, and what's going on in terms of annual giving and how, as a recession looms, what we know is, is that we have less donors today than we ever have. And that if you want a book recommendation, uh, Brian Crimmins, Nathan Chappelle, The Generosity Crisis, talks about this. I think it's probably the most important book in 20 or 30 years. If you don't have it, go get a copy. Is that it's an issue and challenge of the fact we're seeing just a a decimation over the last 15 to 20 years of our donor basis. That it used to be two-thirds of our population or households made a philanthropic gift. Today, it's less than 50% and on the downswing. And that it's the smallest donors that we're having the most trouble with. And if you don't have a couple of really large players 
your organization in terms of revenue is really struggling. In addition to this, when we talk about just overall finances, we see challenges in healthcare, number of organizations having huge, huge issues with losses. We're seeing some push now financially, or at least push for the information to come out from universities and colleges with decreased student populations. And that that's pushing immense pressure on those educational institutions. We certainly have seen a lot of what I'll call ancillary conversation around things like food and, and housing nonprofits as they are being pressed with inflationary costs with their particular uh, needs in terms of housing or food and what that's doing. I think what's coming next, unfortunately, is we're going to start seeing membership organizations, zoos, museums, places like that, see less, I'll call it patronage, meaning and we do this in, in our house, that we have a zoo membership, so we have unfettered access to the zoo. That's more expensive. Are we going to go as often? And things of that nature. Same thing with museums, children's museums, uh, anything that's a membership-based activity. All of this leads to a conversation about how are we financed? And the dreaded term, which I want to spend a few minutes on, called overhead. Traditionally, the word overhead has such a negative connotation that what it does is we get the question, how much of your organization is spent on the dreaded overhead. It's administrative costs. It's salaries. It's things that aren't driving revenue. It's it's not going to the actual mission and purpose because it's what runs the organization. And over the last 20 to 25 years, there's been an immense push by and no, nothing. I would not indicate that that was being done nefariously or in terms of, of really bad purpose. But a lot of larger donors and in particular, institutional donors, corporations, uh, foundations, donor advice funds, things of that nature have pushed organizations, nonprofit, to become less overhead driven. And so there's been an efficiency move in the nonprofit space. With that said, let me say I'm all for efficiencies. I, I believe in them. But is there a place or a point at which you cut so much on the overhead that it affects the outcome. And the answer to that is yes. And the reason this is important, as we are seeing inflationary pushes on salaries, on seeing reduced uh, cash reserves and operating income, as we're seeing pressures on the inputs that a nonprofit has that it actually utilizes, food kitchen, food, and inflation there. Where does the organization first turn? And the answer is they go internally and start cutting. Nowhere is this more true, in my experience, than in healthcare. And that's part of the deficit of understanding about philanthropy and nonprofits. In healthcare, people get a little wiggy when the numbers get off and they just start cutting. We are beginning to hear rumors, I have nothing to announce, I don't have any inside information that there will be incredibly large job cuts coming in the next three months, maybe out to six months, in many healthcare organizations. I'm talking about thousands of jobs and organizations. 
because that's how they view they're going to right-size their losses. And what that does is that lessens the overhead. What I found interesting is, is that I very rarely hear any conversation data about what is the proper level of overhead. We just need less of it. We know in terms of philanthropy from a fundraising funding generation perspective that we traditionally have heard you want to cost about 25 cents on the dollar that that's a decent ROI. We spend a quarter to make a dollar, or if you want to look at it differently, for every dollar that comes in, a quarter was used to generate that dollar. Look at it, cost to raise dollar or ROI. doesn't make a difference. That only really has applied to the fundraising elements of what we do. What does it mean for the entire organization? And as we, as an industry, are being asked to be more and more efficient, and keep our overhead low, but yet our expenses are going up and our revenues maybe aren't, this begs the question, what are we really talking about? I appreciated a story in the Chronicle Philanthropy in September. It really grabbed my attention and I held on to it because I wasn't quite sure what to do with it. Then these other pieces kind of popped up in terms of data information, things that I found interesting that led me to today's podcast. But this was about talking about how to actually put data to the idea of what our overhead should be as an organization. The Chronicle Philanthropy went out and did a really large study along, and, and I think really it, 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 it started with the Boston Globe. They went and looked at 22,000 so I give them a lot of credit, really a great N or sample size. 22,000 nonprofits, particularly in the arts and culture area. Really, we're talking about museums, theaters, things of that nature. And they looked at a 10-year period from 10, 2008 through 2018, because that's where the data is from 990s and others is going to be the most relevant. So we're pre-pandemic. With that said, there's been a change or two with pandemic, no question. But over those 11 years, what they found is the organizations that were the most financially stable were using about a third of their revenue as or classified as overhead, salary, marketing, outreach, organizational structural costs, heating, cooling, things of that nature. And the organizations that tried to be more efficient than 33% actually went into something they called the starvation cycle, meaning they cut too much. So let's take a just a museum or a zoo or a theater or something of that nature, which I found to be really interesting is as sectors and what their situation might be. They may see a little bit of a downturn in revenue, so they're going to decrease their expenses, which means the first probably place they're going to cut is their marketing budget, maybe marketing people. Secondarily, probably is their fundraising team. So let's compare that to the for-profit world for a moment. If you see decreasing sales, so I'm a for-profit company. I'm looking out a year or two. How am I growing? What am I trying to accomplish? And I see a hole in potential clients. 
The one place I'm not cutting is marketing because I want people to know about me. And the one place that I'm not going to cut, and I'm a small person group, is I'm not going to cut my time to business development. Equating to philanthropy or fundraising. But yet that's the first place we see nonprofits cut. And what begins that starvation cycle is, well, they're not out marketing because that was an easy thing to cut. Now there's not as many people coming in before as before, and we're not raising as much money because maybe, and it begins a cycle that all of a sudden becomes self-perpetuating. The number that they pose as a really strong goal for overhead based on the 22,000 nonprofits in 11 years worth of data was 35%. If you took your organization out to the, to the public and fundraising opportunities and said, we our overhead is 35%, my guess is you're going to have some donors, some organizations, philanthropists, whomever, who are going to push back and say, you're spending way too much money. And the answer is, you're not. That's why I'm a data person. We now have data to help us better understand how we grow, how we maintain. And you can't maintain by just cutting. Eventually, you'll start a cycle that's very hard to get out of, particularly doing it when times are difficult, when you have less options. If you were in a strategic cost-cutting series of activities prior to the pandemic, you might have had the opportunity to have the resources to be really smart about it. But if you're losing money right now, you have less options, which means you may make more rash decisions. And in making those rash decisions, you may hurt your organization more than you realize. What does all of this mean? Well, I think that it begs the question, Overall, and then we'll get to the tacticals we always try to do here on Around with Randall, is, is that funders may hold an unrealistic sense of expectations about how much we should be spending on overhead. So how do you deal with this? How do you have the conversation about what you should look like as an organization? I think there's four things to consider with some subpoints. The first is you need to have an honest assessment of yourself and really a 360. My fear in 360 evaluations is they always turn out to be 140. And you may say, what in the world is Randall talking about? Maybe that's even a normal question. All of a sudden, when we do an assessment, it's amazing how many people we leave out of that process. And it seems to be driven by finance, which I'm not opposed to, but doesn't include everybody. And all of a sudden, finance makes a decision. We're going to do this, this, and this. Finance has a wonderful, important role in our nonprofit world. I don't want to get rid of them, but they can't drive the ship alone. There are consequences to decisions. And sometimes you need to bring in outsiders. And I'm not talking like Accenture just to do cost-cutting measures. How about understanding if you cut the marketing budget by X, it has this particular effect on attendance, on people coming in. Remember, in the for-profit world, the first place, if you're seeing a lack of sales, they add money to is marketing. And yet, for some reason, in the nonprofit world, it's the first place we cut because it's the dreaded overhead. 360 means everybody. 
philanthropy, marketing, board, everybody has a voice in this conversation of a 360 assessment for our, our organization and how we're going to fight the challenges of the day. Number two is once you come up with a plan is to communicate. And it's top-down communication approach. It obviously starts with the board and having almost, if not complete, idea of consensus. If half your board doesn't want to do this, but it wins by, let's say, one vote, then you aren't where you need to be. It may mean some negotiation at the top. So number one is your board. Number two are your senior leaders. Number three is your staff. Number four, your donors, your community, why we're doing what we're doing. What does it mean? Number A or letter A, show them the numbers. Be open. The, the interesting thing about the study that was in the Chronicle Philanthropy from September was this, I mean, 22,000 nonprofits over an 11-year span. I mean, that is that is unbelievable amount of data. And they came back and said it should be about 35% but we're running at 24%. Yeah, but we're losing money. How do we, do we need to increase our overhead, our marketing, our outreach, our, our philanthropy so that we have more to invest back into the organization? Is this a short-term, long-term solution? Show them numbers. Number two, compare. I'm doing an analysis and kind of semi-strategy for a client, and I compared them to about five or six other nonprofits like them in their community, gift officers, uh, organizational size, things of that nature, and showed it to the CEO. And he didn't like it because they had the smallest staff when it came to outreach. And I said, and you are raising the least amount of money and have the least amount of exposure in the community. But, but, but these aren't fair comparisons. And I pushed back and said, you're darn right. They're in your community. They are your basic area of interest or service in the nonprofit sector. They're about the same size. They've just chosen to allocate their resources differently. And you wonder why they have more money. So being able to compare and then explain that is critical. The other thing is, is that, and this goes, I'll give credit to Dan Polenta. There's a video from 2000, I don't know, 14, 15. I've used it a million times where it's YouTube, Dan Polenta boards and nonprofits. You can Google it. But he talks about the world being depressing when it's always the same size of the pie. What he's meaning is, is, is that decisions to just cut are based on the concept that the pie, the amount of dollars out there is limited. And what he's arguing for, and I can't articulate this enough. And this was the conversation I had with the CEO here recently about outreach and their budget and size and other things for, versus other like competitors. I said, you're assuming the pie's this big. It's not. The pie could be five times as big if you had more people out there engaging. This is the argument for marketing budgets and philanthropy and outreach and getting people to know who you are and, and choose to spend they're disposable dollars, either philanthropically or through a membership organization or something of that nature on you rather than someone else. The pie can be as big as the economy is. It depends on how people want to spend it. And that's what he's referring to. So if you need a reference point, you might think about that video as a great way of looking at 
philanthropy and outreach and the ability to tell your story and branding. Number three, be ready for pushback. I was doing a, another study with a client who wanted to talk about their special events, and I gave them the recommendations, which was you need to reduce them. And there were board members that were just furious. And it was my job to listen to them. Why is this important? And then explain back through the data why they have a better opportunity to increase their pie, so to speak, the size of the pie, if they wouldn't do as many special events and concentrate on major gift activities. People don't like change. Be willing to listen and adjust. Still get to your point, still get to your direction, but you may have to deviate two or three points or elongate the strategic plan a year or two to bring more people into the tent that want to be a part of your solutions. And finally, you got to tell the story, not repeat, not in isolation. If you're a museum and you're the only one in town telling this story about the 35%, you're going to look like the anomaly. But if every museum, zoo, and otherwise, based on that story in the Chronicle Philanthropy, is telling the same story, then the community gets the vantage point of, wait a minute, there's something going on here. Going it alone can be challenging. You may have to. But if you can do it more collaboratively as an organization and as an industry subsection of nonprofit work, you'll find, I think, that there's a better opportunity to change the story about the expectations. Get an honest, full 360 assessment. Communicate to your constituencies. Be open for suggestions and pushback. And lastly, gather as a group to tell the story of to why we need to make adjustment and change. And then you'll have a better chance of resetting your nonprofit in a way that allows it to move forward in a much more financially productive situation. Don't forget, check out the blogs at Hallett Philanthropy. Two a week or so. And also, if you'd like to communicate with me, that's podcast at HallettPhilanthropy.com. Always love to hear if you have suggestions on a particular topic or something of that nature. Just tell me I'm crazy. It happens every day at home. That could be very much part of this as well. In the end, it's a challenging time economically for nonprofits, for just people. And we've come out of the pandemic, hopefully, financial challenges with inflation. I want you to take a second, if you can, coming out of the Thanksgiving holiday and before the Christmas Hanukkah holidays, to realize that you have incredible value. You're doing great things. And although sometimes life's a little chaotic, it's important for you to realize you're making a contribution. Don't forget my favorite saying, some people make things happen. Some people watch things happen. Then there are those who wondered what happened. And in today's world, you're someone making something happen, representing an organization that's making something happen for the people and the things in our community that are wondering what happened. And that has value. It doesn't mean there's not challenges, but it does mean that what you're doing is making a difference. And if nothing else, you know, I appreciate it. Even if we've never met and I don't know anything about you. You're doing good. I'll look forward to seeing you next time right here on Around with Randall. Don't forget, make it a great day. <laughs>